जननीम शारदाम देवीम राम कृष्णम जगद्गुरुम पाद पद्मे तयोह श्रुवा प्रणमा मुहुर्मुहु Can we be all things to all people? I'm sure that all of us have had that question cross our minds at some time or the other. And at times we feel that uh, the answer is simply no. That we can't be all things to all people. That something has to let go. That there are compromises to be made and that um, to be practical, you know, there are limitations that we need to impose. on ourselves however i feel that we can be all things to all people and the way to get there is to really look at the infinite possibilities that unfold ahead of us there are two examples that uh, come to my mind when i think of this one is of our mothers we see how you know every day uh, practically in the kitchen they are cooking different dishes that suit different people in the household the second example is of teachers who are able to identify the innate aptitude of each individual and really cater to that interest separately while these two seem to be somewhat conscious and driven by you know their uh, instinctive response in a way the best example though might be of a toddler a child under the age of 5 who very spontaneously is whoever he or she is irrespective of the people or the circumstances or even the time they are just who they are so in this regard i wish to explore this topic and uh, we'll take it further from there i shall be reading a lecture titled the motherhood of god by swami abedananda in a booklet called the vedanta philosophy this lecture was delivered by him at the Tuxedo Hall, New York, on 12th November, 1899. I'm the father and mother of the universe. Bhagavad Gita, Chapter 9, Verse 17. Why does the god lover find much pleasure in addressing the deity as mother because the child is more free with its mother and consequently she is dearer to the child than anyone else This quote is from the life and sayings of Ramakrishna by F Maxmuller page 118 Now let's start with the lecture title the motherhood of god The worship of God as the mother of the universe 
as our Divine Mother is unknown to the people of the West. Since the introduction of Christianity into Europe, the conception of God as the creator and father of the universe has been preached by the theologians and priests of Christendom. Jesus, the founder of Christianity, worshipped God as his father and prayed to him as the father of the universe. Consequently, those who follow Jesus and his teachings worship God through this relation established by their master. The relation between father and son is much higher than that of the creator and his creatures or the master and his servant. The more we advance in spirituality and the nearer we approach God, the closer becomes our relation to him. The worship of God is impossible without having some kind of relation between the worshipper and the object of worship. This is the end of the first paragraph. In the Hebrew religion, God, Jehovah, was conceived of as the creator, ruler, and governor of the universe. He was like a most powerful and despotic monarch. All creatures were related to Jehovah as subjects to their ruler. As the ruler punishes his disobedient subjects, so Jehovah punished those who disobeyed him or his laws. The duty of a subject was almost the same as that of a slave to his master. As a slave serves his master through fear of punishment, so the Hebrews served Jehovah. The transition from such a relation to that of father and son was indeed a great step. It was no longer an external relation to power and strength, but became a kind of kinship of internal or blood relation, such as exists between an earthly father and his son. There is a tie of love which binds a son to his father, and such a tie brings the individual soul much nearer to the creator of the universe. As the earthly father of an individual is ordinarily considered to be his creator because of his begetting him and bringing him into existence out of nothing, so when the undeveloped human mind began to think of the creation of the universe, it imagined that the creator was one who begot the universe and produced it out of nothing. Consequently, the creator became the father of the universe. This is the end of the second paragraph. All our conceptions of God begin with anthropomorphism, that is, with giving God human attributes in a greatly magnified degree, and end in de-anthropomorphism, that is, with making him free from all human attributes. At the first stage of our conception of God, he appears to us as an extra-cosmic being, as the creator of the universe, who is separate from the universe and dwells outside of it, just as a carpenter is separate from the chair or table which he makes or as the father is separate from the son whom he creates. The Hebrew conception of Jehovah was purely anthropomorphic. He was an extra cosmic being. He dwelt in a heaven outside of the universe and possessed all human attributes. He created the universe out of nothing, fashioned it and became its ruler. The same Jehovah, when considered as the father of the universe by Jesus and his followers, did not lose his extra cosmic nature. Even today, the majority of Christians do not go beyond this idea of an extra-cosmic God. They worship the same extra-cosmic Jehovah as the creator of the universe as their father. Jehovah is always masculine. 
he is never described as feminine. This is the end of the third paragraph. According to the Hebrews, the masculine element of nature possessed all activity, strength and power. The male principle was recognized as the generator and the female principle of nature was thought to be lower, insignificant, powerless and passive. The female principle of nature was the producer and bearer of what the male principle created. Consequently, everything that represented the female principle was considered as unimportant. This explains why womanhood was estimated so low by the writers of the Old and New Testaments, especially by the great apostle to the Gentiles. Even the very appearance and existence of women on earth depended upon a man's rib, according to Genesis. Although the Creator was represented by the Hebrews as masculine and all-powerful, when they explained the genesis of the world, they could not deny the presence of the feminine element which helped the Creator in bringing life into existence. In the Mosaic account of Genesis, we read, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, which literally means that the Creator impregnated the waters or the female element of nature. And as God, that is the male element, was extracosmic outside of nature and possessed all activity and power, he became the object of worship. And the female element or nature was entirely ignored. Every Christian admits the existence of nature, the female principle, but she has never been worshipped or adored. The idea of father grew stronger and stronger and the mother nature was left aside as passive and powerless and was ultimately ignored. As long as the conception of God remained as extracosmic, separate from nature, which is passive, so long will he appear as father alone. The more we comprehend God as imminent and resident in nature, the more clearly we understand that the God is our mother as well as our father. When we see that nature or the feminine principle is inseparable from the being or the masculine element, when we realize that nature is not passive and powerless, but the divine energy, then we understand that God is one stupendous whole in whom exist both the masculine and feminine principles. Then we no longer separate nature from God, but we recognize nature as part of the manifested divine energy. The tendency of modern science is towards this end. The doctrine of evolution, correlation of forces, persistence of energy, all these clearly prove that the phenomena of the whole universe and the various forces of the external and internal world are but the expressions of one eternal energy. The theory of evolution explains only the mode in which that eternal energy produces this phenomenal universe. Science has disproved the old theory of creation out of nothing through the fiat of an extra cosmic god and has shown that something can never come out of nothing. Science teaches that the universe existed in a potential state in that energy and gradually through the process of evolution, the whole potentiality has become kinetic or actual. That eternal energy is not an unintelligent energy, but is intelligent. Wherever we cast our eyes, either in the external or internal world, we find the expression not of a fortuitous or accidental combination of matter and mechanical forces, but of regular laws guided by definite purpose. 
This universe is not a chaos but a cosmos, one harmonious whole. It is not an aimless chain of changes which we call evolution. But there is an orderly hidden purpose at every step of evolution. Therefore that energy is intelligent. We may call the self-existing, intelligent, eternal cosmic energy the mother of the universe. She is the source of infinite forces and infinite phenomena. This eternal energy is called in Sanskrit, Prakriti, Latin, Procreatrix, the creative power of the universe. Tvam para prakriti sakshat brahmana paratmanaha Tvato jatam jagat sarvam tvam jagat janani shive Thou art the para prakriti or the divine energy of the supreme being. Of thee is born everything of the universe. Therefore thou art the mother of the universe. As all the forces of nature are but the manifestations of this divine energy, she is called all-powerful. Wherever there is the expression of any force or power in the universe, there is a manifestation of the eternal Prakriti or the Divine Mother. It is more appropriate to call the energy Mother than Father, because like a mother, that energy holds within her the germ of the phenomenal universe before evolution, develops and sustains it, projects it on space and preserves it when it is born. She is the Mother of the Trinity, Creator, Preserver and Destroyer. She is the source of all activity. She is the Shakti, force in action. A creator when deprived of his creative power is no longer the creator. As the creative power is one of the expressions of that eternal energy, so the creator of Brahma is looked upon by the Hindus as the child of the universal divine mother. So is the preserver and the destroyer. The Hindus have understood this eternal energy as the mother of the universe and have worshipped her from prehistoric times, the Vedic period. Here you must remember that this divine energy is not the same as the powerless and passive nature which was rejected and ignored by the Hebrews and the Christians. You must not mistake this worship of the Divine Mother for nature worship. In the Rig Veda, the most ancient of the Hindu scriptures, we read, the Mother Divine says, I am the Queen of the Universe, the giver of all wealth and fruits of works. I am intelligent and omniscient. Although I am one, by my powers I appear as manifold. I cause war for protecting men, I kill the enemy, and bring peace on earth. I stretch out heaven and earth, I have produced the Father. As the wind blows by itself, so I produce all phenomena by my own will. I am independent and responsible to none. I am beyond the sky, beyond this earth. My glory is the phenomenal universe, such am I by my power. This is from the Rig Veda, chapter 10, hymn number 125. Thus, the Divine Mother is described as all in all. We live and move and have our existence in that Divine Mother. Who can live for a moment if that eternal energy ceases to manifest? All our mental and physical activity depends on her. She is doing whatever she chooses to do. She is independent. She obeys none. She is the producer of every event that occurs in the universe. She makes one appear good, spiritual and divine, while it is she who makes another appear as wicked and sinful. It is through her power we perform virtuous deeds or commit sinful acts. 
but she is beyond good and evil, beyond virtue and vice. Her forces are neither good nor evil, but they appear to us when we look at them from different standpoints and compare them with another. When that all-pervading divine energy manifests, it expresses itself in two sets of opposite forces. The one set has a tendency towards God and is called Vidya in Sanskrit. The other tends towards worldliness and is called Avidya. The one leads to freedom and happiness and the other to bondage and suffering. The one is knowledge and the other is ignorance. The one is light, the other is darkness. Each individual soul is the center where these opposite forces are constantly working and fighting with one another. When Vidya or the powers which lead Godward predominate, we advance towards God and become religious, spiritual and unselfish. But when it's opposite, the Avidya power prevails, we become worldly, selfish and wicked. When the former is predominant, the latter is overcome and vice versa. These powers exist in each individual, though they vary in the degree of the strength in each. The man or woman in whom the former, that is the Godward leading powers prevail, is called devotional, prayerful, righteous, pure in heart, unselfish. These qualities are but expressions of Vidya powers within us. Such higher powers are latent in all, even in those who do not show such qualities. All persons can drowse those latent powers by practicing devotion, prayer, righteousness, purity, and unselfishness. The easiest way to attain these powers is by the worship of the Vidya Shakti, or that aspect of the Divine Mother or Divine Energy which represents all the powers that lead to spiritual perfection. By worship or devotion, we mean constant remembrance of that aspect. If we constantly think of the source of all spirituality and of all the higher powers which make one spiritual, surely those powers will be aroused in us and we shall become spiritual, righteous, and unselfish. Therefore, the Hindus worship this Vidya Shakti. When they worship that aspect, they do not deny or ignore the opposite aspect, which leads to worldliness, but they make it subordinate to the higher Vidya aspect. Sometimes they think of these opposite forces separately, personify them, and make them the female attendants of the Divine Mother. The Divine Mother has many attendants, all the evil forces of nature are her, are her attendants. She stands in the center of the universe, radiant in her own glory, like the sun when surrounded on all sides by thick, dark clouds. Wherever there is any expression of extraordinary righteousness and spirituality, there is special manifestation of the Divine Mother. There is her incarnation. The Divine Mother incarnates sometimes in the form of a man and sometimes in the form of a woman to establish order and righteousness. All men and women are her children, but there is something more in woman. As woman represents motherhood on earth, so all women, whether married or unmarried, are representatives of that almighty Divine Mother of the universe. It is for this reason women are so highly revered and honored by the Hindus. There is no country in the world except India where God, the Supreme Being, is worshipped from time immemorial as the Divine Mother of the Universe. India is the only country where the earthly mother is looked upon as a living deity. 
and where a man learns in his childhood one mother is greater than a thousand fathers you have heard many stories regarding the condition of women in india most of these are grossly exaggerated some are utterly false and some are partially true the familiar american story of hindu mothers throwing their babies into the ganges to become food for crocodiles is unknown among the hindus in the first place crocodiles cannot live in a strong current like that of the ganges i have traveled the length of this mighty river from its mouth to its source some 1500 miles but never saw any such acts these statements were heard by me for the first time after coming to america the tales and pictures to this effect have been quite common in this country in books for the young there is not time to go into a discussion of those points today but so far i can assure you that you will not find any other country where every living mother as um, mania mania william says is venerated as a kind of deity by her children where every village or city has its special guardian mother called in sanskrit mata it is extremely difficult for a western mind to grasp exactly what the hindus mean when they say that every woman is a representative of the divine mother a very simple illustration will give you an idea of the respect the hindus have for women in sanskrit when two names are used together the rule of grammar is that the more honorable should stand first in sanskrit we say women and men and not men and women instead of father and mother we say mother and father instead of husband and wife wife and husband because a woman is always more honorable than a man in india wives do not adopt their husbands names they do not merge their individuality into that of their husbands as women do in the west but they keep their own names separate if a wife's name be radha and a husband's name be krishna and if we say them together we would say radha krishna and never krishna radha the wife's name must be said first if we say sita rama sita is the wife and rama is the husband again when god incarnates in a form of man as in krishna or rama the wife of such an incarnation will be worshiped as the incarnation of the mother the wife will be worshiped first and then the husband a western mind does not easily appreciate the wonderful reverence for womanhood which the hindus have The divine mother is the personal god the same as ishvara in sanskrit and brahman or the absolute substance or the universal spirit is the impersonal being brahman is formless nameless and without any attributes it is the ocean of absolute intelligence existence and bliss it has no activity it is the godhead of fichte the substantia or spinoza it transcends all phenomena Before phenomenal manifestation divine energy rested on the bosom of that ocean of absolute being in a potential state it is a dormant state of activity somewhat like a deep sleep state when all activity is latent as in deep sleep all the mental and physical powers exist in us in an unmanifested condition and nothing is lost so before the beginning of the cosmic evolution all the phenomenal forces of the universe remained dormant in that energy there were no phenomena no manifestation of any powers whatever again as in our waking state all the latent powers manifest and we are able to walk move talk 
and are tremendously active so when a portion of that impersonal being wakes up as it were and manifests the latent cosmic powers out of the sleeping energy the evolution of the cosmic energy begins and the impersonal being appears as the creator of the universe and its preserver then the impersonal being is called personal on account of that manifested energy according to the hindus that impersonal brahman is neither masculine nor feminine but that personal god is masculine and feminine both in one energy and being are inseparable in the personal god as pure being without energy cannot produce any phenomena and as energy possesses all activity and is the mother of all forces and phenomena the personal god is most appropriately called the mother of the universe as fire and its burning power or heat are inseparable so being and energy are inseparable and one those who worship the masculine aspect of god in reality worship the male child born of that divine mother because the activity strength and power which make one masculine owe their energy to that divine energy those who worship the divine mother worship the whole all gods all angels and all spirits that exist in the universe the wonderful effect of this conception of the motherhood of god is to be found in the daily life of almost every hindu woman as well as man a hindu woman thinks that she is a part of the divine mother nay one with her She looks at all men and women of the world as her own children. She thinks herself as the blessed mother of the world. How can such a woman be unkind to anybody? Her pure motherly love flows towards all men and women equally. There is no room for any impure thought or feeling or passion in such a heart. That perfect motherly feeling makes her ultimately live like the divine mother on earth. Her ideal god in human form is her own child. She worships the incarnation of God as a most beloved child. Just as Mary was the mother of Jesus, so the Hindu women in India often look upon themselves as the mother of Krishna, the Hindu Christ, or of Rama, another incarnation. Christian mothers perhaps will be able to appreciate this to a certain extent. If a Christian mother thinks that she is Christ's mother and loves him as she loves her own child, the effect will be wonderful. She will then understand what divine motherhood is. The Hindus think this is the easiest way for women to attain to that love which wakes one unselfish and divine. A mother can sacrifice everything for her child. She naturally loves the child without seeking any benefit. Though there are mothers who do not possess pure unselfish motherly love. A true mother however loves a child above everything. If such a child be an incarnation of God himself how easy it will be for the mother to attain to the highest goal of religion i know a lady in india who became a widow when she was young she did not marry again she was not like the ordinary woman of the world who thinks that her husband is essential for her happiness and that marriage is the highest ideal of life she lived the pure life of a nun and worshiped krishna as her own child she became so advanced in spirituality that now hundreds of educated men and women of high rank in calcutta come to see her to take spiritual instruction from her they kiss the dust of her feet as devout roman catholics kiss the feet of the statue of mary revere her and call her the mother of god mother of krishna 
the shepherd. She is still living near Calcutta. She feels in herself the presence of the blessed mother of the universe. Another wonderful result of this conception of God as the mother of the universe is that when a man worships God as his mother, he always thinks of himself as a child in his mother's arms. As a child does not fear anything when it is near its mother, so the worshipper of the Divine Mother is never afraid of anything. He sees the Blessed Mother everywhere. In every woman he sees the manifestation of his Eternal Mother. Consequently, every woman on this earth is his mother. He conquers all lust and sense desires. He sees women in a different light. He worships every woman mentally. I've seen a man who lived on this earth like a living child of the Divine Mother, always protected and taken care of by her. He worshipped God as a mother of the universe. Through that worship he became pure, righteous and spiritual. He used to say, O oh my mother, thou art all in all. Thou art my guide, my leader and strength. His Divine Mother showed him the true nature of man and woman. He bowed down before all women, young, mature and old, and said to them, You are the living representatives of my Divine Mother on earth. How can a child have any other relation to one who is the same as its real mother? By this kind of devotion, he conquered all lust and worldliness. I like whole soul, rapturous self-consecration to the Divine Mother is a landmark in the religious history of India. His whole life, which was the personification of purity, self-control, self-resignation and filial love, the Divine Mother, stands as a mighty testimony to the reality and effectiveness of the worship of God as the Mother of the Universe. When he sang the praises of the Divine Mother, he gave life to every word he uttered and no soul could hear him without being moved to tears by deep devotional feelings, without realizing that this wonderful child was in direct commission with the Divine Mother. His Divine Mother showed him that each woman was her incarnation, so he worshipped and honoured all women as a son might worship his own mother. Some Western people may laugh at such reverence, but a Hindu is extremely devoted. He knows how to honour a woman. Max Muller was much impressed with the wonderful life of this great sage and recently published his life and sayings. He was once asked, If we are the children of your Divine Mother, why does she not take care of us? Why does she not come to us and take us up in her arms? The sage replied, A mother has several children. To one, she has given a doll to another some candy, to the third a music box, according as each one likes. Thus, when they begin to play and are absorbed, they forget their mother. She in the meanwhile looks after her household work, but the moment any of them gets tired of the play and throwing aside the plaything cries for the mother, Mama, Mama, dear, she runs quickly to him, takes him up in her arms, kisses him often and often and caresses him. So, O oh man, being absorbed in your play with the playthings of the world, you have forgotten your Divine Mother. When you get tired of your play and throw aside the toys, you cry for her sincerely. And with the simplicity of a child, she will come at once and take you up in her arms. Now you want to play and she has given you all that you need at present. Each of us will see the Divine Mother sooner or later. 
The mother is always taking care of us and protecting us whether we feel it or not, whether we realize it or not. O Mother Divine, Thou art the eternal energy, the infinite source of the universe. Thy powers manifest in the infinite variety of names and forms. Being deluded by the power of ignorance, we forget Thee and take pleasure in the playthings of the world. But when we come to Thee, take Thy refuge and worship Thee, Thou makest us free from ignorance and worldliness and givest eternal happiness by keeping us, Thine own children, on Thy bosom. back to the statement with which we open this episode about whether we can really be all things to all people the answer is yes now the question of how it's useful to refer to Swami Vivekananda's um, extract which is there from uh, Parabhakti or Supreme Devotion in chapter 9 titled The Human Representation of the divine ideal of love in which he talks about how we can relate to every being in this universe the first attitude at its lowest level is that of shanta of being peaceful the higher attitude after that is the sort of dasya of really viewing one as the servant of all because we view the other as a representation of the divine thirdly of the Sakya attitude or of friendship. Fourthly, as that of Vatsalya, where we view uh, the God as a child, which removes the equation of power from the relationship. And the fifth higher attitude, at least in human terms, is Madhura or that of sweet love that's frequently seen between lovers. But even more remarkably, he talks about the fascination that illegitimate love has because it does not really look at social propriety and so on and is acknowledged to exist in the bhakti literature of, of India. At the highest level though, the point at which the human love really tends towards divine love is where one is able to appreciate the Advaitic understanding of this universe where we say we are all one. We are really one existence, consciousness, bliss, absolute. So in the words of uh, Sri Ramakrishna, he says that we should tie this Advaita Jnana to the hem of our cloth and then we can go about with our lives. In my view, if we have this Advaita Jnana and then are able to relate to this universe as a representation of the divine, we should really be able to be all things to all people. Now to be all things to all people perhaps requires us to be vijyanis. Now, 
Vigyani is very well described in Swami Medananda ji's book called Infinite Paths to Infinite Reality. So I now quote from page number 28 where he writes Shri Ramakrishna frequently explains the difference between jnana and vigyana by means of the metaphor of the staircase on the roof. And here further he quotes from the gospel of Shri Ramakrishna The jnani gives up his identification with worldly things discriminating not this not this only then can he realize brahman it is like reaching the roof of a house by leaving the steps behind one by one but the vigyani who is more intimately acquainted with brahman realizes something more or in bangla kintu vigyani jini vishwarupe tahar sange alap kare tini aru kichu darshan kare he realizes the steps are made of the same materials as the roof bricks lime and brick dust that which is realized as brahman through the eliminating process of not this not this is then found to have become the universe and all its living beings the vigyani sees that the reality which is nirguna is also saguna a man cannot live on the roof for a long time he comes down again those who realize brahman and samadhi come down also and find that it is brahman that has become the universe and its living beings this is known as vigyana end of the extract from the gospel of sri ramakrishna then uh, swami medananda ji comments sri ramakrishna describes the jnani in advaitic terms as one who attains brahma jnana by reasoning that brahman alone is real and the universe is unreal the vigyani however goes beyond even brahma jnana by attaining the more expansive realization that brahman has become the universe and its living beings As Sri Ramakrishna puts it elsewhere while the jnani dismisses the universe as a framework of illusion or dukhatati the vigyani embraces the universe as a mansion of mirth majarkodi the advaitic jnani realizes that nirguna brahman alone is real while the vigyani attains the greater realization the reality which is nirguna is also saguna We shall end this episode with two songs. The first is a hymn to the Divine Mother, also known as Sarva Mangalam Mangalye, which is from the Chandi, Chapter 11, verses 10 to 12. Om Sarva Mangalam Mangalye Shive Sarvartha Sadike Sharanye Triyambake Gauri Narayani Namostute Srishti Sthiti Vinashanam Shakti Bhuti Sanatani Gunashrayi Gunamai Narayani Namostute Sharanagata Dinartha Paritrana Parayane Sarvasyati Hare Devi Narayani Namostute Jaya Narayani Namostute Jaya Narayani Namostute Jaya Narayani Namostute Jaya Narayani Namostute
द लास्ट सॉन्ग इज कॉल्ड प्रकृतिम परमाम अभयाम वरदाम और श्री शारदा स्त्रोत्रम दिम टू द होली मदर कंपोज बाय स्वामी अभेदानंदा प्रकृतिम परमाम अभयाम वरदाम नर रूपधरा जनतापहरा शरणागत सेवकोषकीं प्रणमा परा जननी जगता गुणहीनसुतापराधयुता कृपयादर मोहगता तरणीसागर पारकी प्रणमा परा जननी जगता विषय कुसुम पीहृत्य सदा चरणाबुरुहामृतशातिसुदा पिबृंगमनोभवरोगहरा प्रणमा परा जननी जगता कृपा कुरु महादेवी सुथेशु प्रणतेषु चरणाश्रयदानमोस्तु ते लज्जापटावृते निदे ज्ञानदाये पापेभ्यो न सदा रक्षा कृपाई नमोस्तु ते रामकृष्णगत प्राण तम श्रवण प्रिया तत्पावरंजितम प्रणमा मुहुर्मु पवित्र चरित्र जीवन तथा पवित्रताे तस्मो नमो नमः दी प्रसन्ना प्रणताहंत्री योगेन्द्रपूज्यागधर्मपात्रिम शारदाभक्तिज्ञानदात्रिम दयास्वूपा प्रणमा निनेन बदनासी मनोस्मदीय दोषान शेषान सगुनी करोषि अहेतुनादय से सदोषा स्वांके गृहत्दम विचित्रम प्रसिद्धमातर विनयन याचे निवस्नेहवतीसुतेषु प्रेमकबिंदु चिदग्वचिते विशेषिंचचि शुशा जननी शारदा देवी रामकृष्ण जगद्गु पादपद्मीतोश्वा प्रणमा मुहुर्मु जय महामाय की जय जय भगवान श्री राम कृष्ण देव की जय जय स्वामी जी महाराज जी की जय